Hello, and welcome to Decarbonize, the clean energy podcast from Fresh Energy. Fresh Energy is a Minnesota nonprofit working to speed our state's transition to a clean energy economy. My name is Joe Olson. I do communications here at Fresh Energy, and I'm here today in a virtual hangout with Michael Noble, our executive director, Justin Fay, our government affairs director, and Ben Passer, our director of energy access and equity. Hello to you all. Hi there. Hello. Thanks for being here. Um, before we start, I want to tell everyone that I apologize in advance if we have any technical issues, if you hear a dog barking, etc. Um, we may experience these things since we're all recording from different locations at home. Um, technology aside, in this podcast, we're going to get an update on Fresh Energy's legislative and policy activities amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. Just to give our listeners a little background, Fresh Energy moved to a virtual office in early March, and while some of our work has changed in response to the crisis, much of our research and policy development efforts are still aggressively moving forward. The Minnesota Legislature is still in session. The Public Utilities Commission meetings have moved to a virtual setting, but they're still happening. And to top it off, the federal government has made a big announcement around rollbacks to the Obama-era Federal Clean Air Act. So I'm hoping what we can have today is just a rolling discussion around how Fresh Energy's legislative and policy goals have changed in response to the crisis. I also want us to take a step back and talk about what COVID-19 will mean for our work around clean energy in Minnesota. Before we dive in, Michael, is there anything that you wanted to add? Well, just, uh, of course, everyone has to focus on their uh, families and their health and uh, mm -hmm. folks they care and care about and love who are out of work. Uh, that's first priority is taking care of each other. But as uh, America and Minnesota looks to get its economy going back uh, in, or, in the right direction again, there's no better opportunity than, you know, thinking about what is the one biggest thing that can lift up the whole economy and pull us all together. And that's uh, attacking this long-term problem of uh, decarbonizing our economy and having a fair and prosperous world that's not dependent on fossil fuel emissions into the atmosphere. Thank you, Michael. Uh, and now I think, Justin, if you're ready, could you set the scene for us? What's happening with the Minnesota legislative session? Well, just like, you know, is happening in so many of our lives, the world of the legislature has been turned pretty completely upside down uh, in the face of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, obviously, the legislature has a very important role to play uh, in directing resources and responding from a policy perspective to what's happening and making sure that Minnesotans are getting the support they need from their state government. Uh, at the same time, the logistics of how the Capitol operates is um, challenging. You know, under normal circumstances, it's a, it's a confined space. It's um, designed to maximize public, uh, direct public involvement. Um, and so the way that uh, decisions get made and, and how, you know, the way that that can happen and or the ways that that typically happens uh, in public um, have to change. Uh, and so a lot of what's happened over the past month has been, um, you know, the legislature prioritizing the most immediate emergency response activities, um, passing a, you know, funding for hospitals and first responders and uh, workers comp for 
healthcare workers and those on the front lines of the crisis and um, you know, policy responses like that. Um, other items have had to take a, necessarily had to take a backseat and have been a little bit slower to figure out. And as the legislature has been prioritizing its emergency response, um, they've also been relearning how to, or I shouldn't even say relearning, learning um, how to how to conduct public business in a transparent way when um, there's little to no ability to have the public physically there while decisions are getting made. Um, and so that's involved a lot of experimentation with technology and um, you know just like they're just like we're doing today to record this podcast, the legislature has been um, having committees meet through Zoom and uh, on Facebook Live and uh, and on YouTube. Uh, and, and uh, other other technology uh, uh, platforms. So it's a it's a very different world for those of us that um, are lobbyists and are used to um, sort of frankly purposes of our jobs are to physically be there uh, in the room when decisions are get made. It's it's a it's a very different environment that we're all operating in. Uh, I would say just this week um, the legislature has started to entertain some business that is not. Uh, necessarily only COVID related. Um, and that's, it's been very baby steps. It's a few legislative committees have started to hold um, more official virtual hearings. Um, and that's just sort of, it, I would say it's like dipping their toe in the water a little bit. And I think probably a signal of how they're going to try to operate over the last few weeks of the session. Um, uh, we're, we're down to less than five weeks before the constitutional deadline for adjournment. Um, and so I think there will be uh, some pressure to, to get some things done, uh, including beyond um, kind of pandemic response. Uh, and uh, I think we're just getting, for the first time, just in the last few days, have been getting a taste of what that's gonna be like. Thank you for that. Um, we are living in a different world now than we were a few months ago. Uh, if folks remember, that's when we recorded our initial kickoff uh, policy-related podcast. Um, Fresh Energy still has a relatively extensive legislative and policy agenda this year, but I want to start our discussion around that, discussing what the new post-COVID policy work is that we've added to the Fresh Energy list. So, Justin, do you want to kick us off here? Sure. So... Um, I think, you know, we have a lot of pride at Fresh Energy of the, over the kind of breadth of the clean energy agenda that we, we bring to the legislature um, on, a, on an annual basis. Um, and obviously that's had to be changed radically uh, in the current environment. Um, and we've had to, um, uh, frankly, step away from some things that uh, we were excited about and optimistic about for this session. Um, but we've also had to take on some new work uh, in its place. Um, and in this moment in history, we've been really working hard uh, as an organization to determine where are the opportunities where we can have the greatest impact and what is, what is our obligation at this moment in history as a, frankly, relatively privileged organization working in the clean energy and, and advocacy space. Um, and where can we you know, make the most difference and, and help the greatest number of people? Um, and I, you know, for us, what that's really meant is leaning into kind of energy specific, um, and I will say energy systems, um, and how they're responding, uh, uh, to this kind of unprecedented set of circumstances. Uh, and 
Ben, uh, who's uh, on with us today, uh, has really been uh, providing some um, critical thought leadership, uh, both for our organization and, uh, and frankly, um, for our community uh, of advocates as we think about um, how to prioritize and who, what communities of people are, are being disproportionately impacted in this moment. Thanks, Justin. Um, yeah, I think, as Justin mentioned, our, our work has really um, shifted with this core focus around um, energy access and equity and, and really more broadly um, equity in the energy system. Um, I think, you know, thinking back to um, March when I, uh, I think a lot of the situation around COVID-19 was really starting to become clear, um, not just for our country, but, you know, for Minnesota, for Minnesota and how uh, the situation was going to um, affect Minnesotans more specifically, um, we saw utilities really starting to take specific action to protect their customers. Um, and the reasons being um, folks were um, facing sudden economic hardship, um, you know, were suddenly finding themselves in situations where, where it was becoming harder to pay, uh, you know, basic expenses um, or um, due to loss of, sudden loss of wages, um, you know, weren't able to keep up with ongoing utility bills, housing expenses, um, and other essential needs. Um, so we saw these uh, utilities voluntarily taking action to protect customers, um, you know, agreeing to stop disconnecting customers for non-payment, uh, reconnecting customers who um, had previously been disconnected, um, and extending other protections um, in, in this unprecedented time. Um, Fresh Energy um, quickly put together a web page, um, which is still live, um, which we've been uh, updating really tracking these individual utility responses um, as a resource to Minnesotans um, as you know this this uh, process was quickly unfolding. Um, however, we also saw an opportunity um, for broader statewide action. So while we were excited to see utilities voluntarily doing this to benefit their customers, um, we also want to ensure that all Minnesotans have um, access to these benefits and to these critical protections um, in this uh, unprecedented unprecedented time. Um, so we, you know, while tracking those utility actions um, did also craft recommendations um, to utilities throughout the state, as well as um, decision makers in Minnesota um, around policies that could really help protect uh, customers in a uniform way. Um, that was something that, you know, I think we really felt was important um, uh, in, an, in an immediate sense, um, but also just continuing from our role um, as an energy policy organization. So knowing that our work had, had shifted significantly, um, still leveraging our strengths and our skill sets um, to think about how uh, the energy system can continue to benefit all Minnesotans um, during these really trying times. Uh, thinking longer term, um, we know that this pandemic will end. Um, it's a really trying time for all of us right now. Um, and and um, we don't know how long it will last, but we know it will end. Um, and so thinking to the end of this pandemic, um, we also recognize that there are under-resourced households, um, communities of color that have been facing significant hardships um, before this pandemic started. And so we recognize a need not just to think about the immediate sense um, of, of urgency in this crisis, um, but also thinking about how we can begin to rebuild um, after this crisis and really with an eye on equity for those who were already facing significant hardship before this all began. Um, so we you know, have really started thinking about what does that look like for the energy system? What does it look like for housing? What does it look like for transportation? Um, how can we ensure that all customers have access to energy efficiency, renewable energy, 
clean, safe, reliable transportation and reliable family supporting careers in the clean energy sector. Um, I think there's a lot of unknowns to that, um, but we do know that we can't return to business as usual. And we know that there's a significant need for massive scale change in the energy system. Um, I think Michael, you know, importantly highlighted, this is the time to be thinking about those things. Um, this is the time to be, you know, rebuilding our economy with an eye on decarbonizing and on equity. Um, and so, you know, I think there's a lot more that we need to flesh out, but I think this is the time that we really need to be thinking about what that transformation looks like to truly benefit all. And we've been really fortunate to, um, you know, we have a, a great community, both uh, of advocates and, and, and engaged stakeholders here in Minnesota that are joining us in this work and this effort, uh, and also uh, in state government and elected and appointed positions. Um, the Citizens Utility Board in particular is a partner that's um, really been pro providing a lot of on the ground thought leadership uh, on this issue, both um, through public communications and, and serving ratepayers directly, but also in advocacy at the Public Utilities Commission, legislature, and, and, and elsewhere. And so uh, we really appreciate the opportunity to partner and work closely with them. Uh, Representative Jamie Long uh, has uh, been a real champion uh, on these issues, uh, and uh, we continue to work closely with him uh, and uh, well in, uh, well-intentioned and very competent leaders uh, at the Department of Commerce and elsewhere in the Walls administration uh, to explore some of the uh, policy solutions that, that Ben mentioned. I also think we've been really fortunate to learn from what other states are doing um, through the organizations that we're connected with um, in the Energy Efficiency for All project, um, our partners at the National Housing Trust and Natural Resources Defense Council um, and other state and regional partners um, that I'm, I'm not naming it at this time, um, but um, our, our partners in coalitions regionally and nationally, um, I think have been really critical to this work, um, as well as our local um, community-based partners, Community Stabilization Project, um, and Inculinos Unidos, um, which is a renter's advocate group um, in, in Minneapolis as well. Um, and we've been really fortunate, I think, just to learn from our partners um, at the local, state, regional, and national levels. Um, this is you know, truly um, a, a pressing crisis, and I think, um, having the ability to, to learn from and leverage so many different um, skill sets and um, organizations expertise um, has been has been really helpful for us um, as we kind of face this crisis in Minnesota. Thank you. Uh, so Michael, kind of a question for you. Looking forward, thinking forward, will there be a stimulus and economic response and will fresh energy be engaged in that? What do you foresee as fresh energy's role? You know, the, uh, that's, this is really highlighting for everybody the importance of the role of government. Uh, you know, there's a lot of controversy in politics about what is the proper role of government, but when the economy is flat on its back and 20% of Americans are out of work and um, businesses are failing left and right, uh, it sort of brings out the consensus view that uh, there's a need for government intervention and government assistance. But what's going to happen, unfortunately, is that state governments are going to be starved for revenues and state governments have a constitutional obligation to balance their budgets. So there's not going to be a lot of wealth uh, in the state treasury to jumpstart the economy. And I think fresh energy is going to have to think about what is its role to um, pull together with our allies in the labor community and pull together with our allies in the business community and in clean energy and clean tech industries and 
speak with one voice to our congressional delegation about, you know, the federal government is the the last resort uh, when uh, there's a need to stimulate the economy. Uh, you know, the joke is in 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 a, in a in an all-out shooting war, you know, you, you're all in the foxhole together. There's no, there's no atheists in the foxhole. And uh, uh, the other joke is that we're all Keynesians now. We all realize that, you know, um, there's an important role for the federal treasury. So there's already been, you know, three or four federal actions uh, to keep America's economy afloat. But I believe there'll be a continuing, sustained uh, public debate about the proper role of public investment. And during the last uh, Great Recession, 2008, you know, people maybe don't know their history, but um, the uh, America Recovery Act had an incredible amount of innovative and um, driving investments that really jump-started so many of the clean energy innovations that we all admire now. People might not know it, but the Tesla Corporation, um, you know, paid back its $500 million loan to the federal government with interest and now is one of the most valuable um, car companies in the world. Uh, I actually believe it is the most valuable car company in the world right now. So uh, look for Fresh Energy to uh, pivot and partner and uh, be in dialogue with our congressional delegation uh, uh, about what exactly should be part of a, a federal investment in America's economy. Maybe there'll be some big block grants to states and we'll be more directly influential at the state legislature if those kinds of funds could be programmed at the state legislature. But um, our congressional delegation, our two United States senators and eight members of the United States Congress have to be um, uh, influential voices in how America gets back to work. And, you know, Ben has already said this well, and I want to reiterate is, is you don't ever want to waste a crisis uh, and there'll be no better time to ask, like, what kind of world do we want to have? What kind of economy do we want to have? Uh, why would we be, rebuild the, you know, inequitable polluting economy that we had when we could build a, a just and um, carbon-free world that we need and we were committed to anyway? So let's not um, waste a crisis. Let's invest in our future. I think that's really well put, Michael. And I'm, I would just add, you know, thinking about what, can we do at the state level here in Minnesota? I think, you know, the, as you noted, there's a, a unique set of kind of historical, historically unique set of pressures and, and constraints on states right now. Um, the state does have some tools still in the toolbox that, um, that I know policymakers will be exploring and that fresh energy will certainly be engaging in conversations about. Um, the most obvious one is the, the bonding bill. Um, Traditionally in Minnesota, every other year is uh, uh, for bonding or capital investment projects. Um, that's obviously uh, uh, potentially m more valuable than ever. Um, thinking about what the economy might look like over the next, you know, year or two or three, um, and uh, certainly there's an opportunity there when we're making investments in physical infrastructure in the state to really make a significant dent um, from an energy and emissions standpoint. Um, and so we'll be thinking about how we can layer some of those multiple benefits um, on in a way that uh, is thoughtful and responsive to uh, what's happening at, at this moment in history. Got it. Thank you, Justin. And thank you, Michael and Ben. Uh, that was very thorough. Uh, well, 
I do want to look back at some of the Fresh Energy's work that was happening before the virus. What do our new circumstances mean for the governor's one Minnesota path to clean energy? Um, that path included a 100% by 2050 carbon-free electricity standard, updates to Minnesota's energy conservation program, and a modernized regulatory framework known as Clean Energy First. What's, what's happening there? Well, this is uh, definitely unfinished business on Fresh Energy's agenda and on Governor Walls's agenda. Uh, Fresh Energy was, you know, honored to have um, me invited to stand shoulder to shoulder at the public podium when the governor rolled out the clean energy, um, what one Minnesota path to clean energy. Uh, and all three of the big moving pieces uh, are still in play. 100% carbon-free electric supply by mid-century, uh, completely overhauling and modernizing our long-standing um, program of how utilities save energy and, and invest in an in a optimized, energy-efficient, modern economy, and how do we uh, overhaul or improve our, um, improve basically our very good uh, regulatory regime that, make sure it always chooses clean energy when clean energy is available. And uh, none of those bills became law last year. And um, we're hoping that one or possibly two of those bills could become law this year. But uh, the, uh, the, the flagship initiative of uh, a, a requirement of all of the electricity sold in Minnesota be without emission, that, that landmark goal. Unfortunately, this year passed into law in Virginia, not in Minnesota. So Minnesotans will be a double, doubling down and tripling down um, with the next uh, legislative uh, session beginning uh, in January of 2021. And that will be the flagship priority for all clean energy uh, organizations and all clean energy small businesses and the governor himself and, and, and everybody who aligns with the governor's vision, it's um, it's certainly a, a a lot that the uh, uh, is before us in terms of just what the challenge is and what sort of the obligation is on all of us as advocates and stakeholders um, working on these issues. And um, I think we're we're so appreciative to the Walls administration and and the governor himself for showing some leadership on these issues and um, planting a flag that's ambitious and, and that has sort of called us all to action. Um, I think thinking about kind of how the session has changed and what could still be possible, uh, yet in 2020, um, I think that, um, the energy efficiency portion of the governor's package that Michael referenced, uh, is still being actively talked about by, um, by legislators and by folks in the administration. And, um, I think would be, uh, more, not less timely, given what's happening in the world and particularly just how uniquely hit the energy efficiency industry has been um, by this crisis and by the economic downturn and uh, you know, by the inability of uh, folks who deliver efficiency programs to go in and out of houses and apartment buildings and businesses uh, as we're all sheltering in place. Um, so the, the, the sort of new tools to do efficiency that um, uh, the administration has thrown its weight behind and that has had some bipartisan support uh, in both the House and Senate, I think is something that we continue to be optimistic about you know, alongside things like the bonding bill that we talked about earlier is 
uh, appropriate ways for policymakers to to respond in the short term and um, keep the ball moving. Um, definitely want to acknowledge uh, the authors, uh, the legislative leaders uh, for the uh, the what we call the Eco Act, which is the energy efficiency. Um, portion of the governor's package. Um, that's Representative Zach Stevenson in the House and, and Senator Jason Rarick in the Senate. Uh, terrific bipartisan set of lead authors um, from you know, different parts of the state and, and pretty different perspectives that um, sort of jointly recognize that the, the most efficient, cheapest electricity is the electricity we never use. Um, and so that means that we need um, really robust uh, energy efficiency programs uh, here in Minnesota. and. Uh, we're uh, excited to work with both the House and Senate and the administration to uh, move that program forward. Thank you. Does anyone else have anything to add about this before I dive into a few other legislative goals? Sure. I'll, I'll just add, um, I think Justin and both really summarized it well. I think um, part of the, the um, reason we remain excited you know, around the um, updates to Minnesota's SIP program specifically um, as Justin mentioned, I think um, you know energy efficiency workforce um, is a is a critical issue right now, and um, I think ensuring that those programs um, continue to be um, robust and and hopefully even expand um, down the road um, will provide um, you know significant uh, workforce investment opportunities. Um, additionally, um, the uh, bill that's currently before the Minnesota legislature would expand opportunities for um, under-resourced households to access energy efficiency programs. Um, which I think is um, was already critical and, and is even more critical now. Um, you know, providing those potential bill savings to um, those households that need it the most. And so, you know, we remain excited about um, those significant benefits, and um, would just echo Justin's thanks to um, the fellow advocates and um, decision makers who are uh, really helping to move that forward. Great, thank you. So, what does our current situation mean for fresh energies? other legislative and policy goals. I'm thinking specifically about the Minnesota step code, commercial building efficiency standards, energy efficient nursing homes, and conservation solar. Oh, I love our bills. I miss them. I miss them <laughs> so much. Um, no, I, it's, you know, I, as we talked about, the, the focus and scope of the session has just changed dramatically based on uh, circumstances that are just you know, well beyond our ability to control. And, um, you know, we were, I'm very proud of the, the package of policies that, that Fresh Energy brought to the to the legislature this year. I think there's a lot of good ideas and frankly, some things that look awfully, in hindsight, look awfully prescient and would have been nice to have had in law a couple years ago. Um, but, uh, you know, logistically, the challenge of even being able to consider and, and um, navigate uh, political and stakeholder conversations on um, complex policies become very difficult. Uh, and so um, you know, we've had to kind of rethink um, the timeline for uh, advancing some of these goals um, uh, and thinking about what is, um, you know, what would it look like to be ready for uh, 2020 special sessions, uh, which seem increasingly likely to happen, or uh, perhaps the 2021 regular session a year from now. Uh, as opportunities to move um, all of those and other items forward that um, kind of advance fresh energy's goal of a uh, um, you know, clean, equitable energy system that, that works for all Minnesotans. So we're going to keep fighting for all of those things, um, and we're going to do so in a way that um, kind of res respects where society's you know, priorities need to be right now. 
All right, thank you. Anyone else have anything to add? I can also, I've got a, a big question next, so maybe uh, gear, up, gear up for this one. Um, this year was, and still, most importantly, still is, a really big year for Clean Cars Minnesota, uh, which as a reminder for folks listening, uh, Clean Cars Minnesota is the Walls Administration's effort to reduce transportation pollution and improve vehicle buying options for Minnesotans. Right now, the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency is still slated to complete the rulemaking process to adopt the Clean Cars standards this year, although the timeline has been pushed back a bit. So I want to talk about that, but I also want to discuss what the federal attack on the Clean Air Act uh, means for this. Uh, the feds announced that the tailpipe emission standards rollbacks are proceeding. What does that mean for clean cars? So first, how has COVID-19 affected the timing of MPCA's Clean Cars Minnesota rulemaking process? Will it still happen? Can the public still be involved? Where are we with this? Well, the good news is the uh, the Pollution Control Agency has definitively and publicly committed that they're uh, uh, committed to completing the rulemaking process by the end of 2020. Um, that's been the, the priority and the goal all along, and they're they're still um, doing everything that they can to to meet that um, goal and deadline. Um, the the timeline for when that process is going to kick back up again, of course, has changed. Um, the uh, projections earlier in the year were that March or April would be the next phase in the, in the rulemaking process that would uh, include some public meetings and a public comment period. Um, this is obviously not the time to, to do that. Um, so the, the, this kind of next phase, which is publication of the draft rule, um, has been put on hold. Um, and there's not a, a clear date uh, at this point that's been made public for when the process will resume. Um, but there are uh, have been clear public statements by uh, the commissioner, um, in particular that uh, that the agency is intending to move forward when it's kind of safe and prudent to do so, and um, certainly will be staying on top of that and uh, engaging, uh, you know, when given the opportunity to do so. Okay, good. Well. I guess people can stay tuned to our website, uh, fresh-energy.org, for when anything is announced. That was fresh-energy.org. Did I get that right? <laughs> yes, fresh-energy.org. Excellent. <laughs> well, some big money is being spent on fighting against clean car standards here in Minnesota, and that's money coming from outside of the state, uh, in spite of this global crisis that everyone is experiencing. Coke Brother money is rolling in for negative media placements, auto dealers are up in arms, and so on. Why is clean cars so contentious? So the uh, oil industry is the driving force behind uh, attacks on clean cars, and the car industry is uh, oil industry's handmaiden. So folks are trying to protect their market share of uh, uh, gas-guzzling auto sales uh, and the oil industry wants to cars to guzzle gas. So not only are uh, Minnesota policymakers under attack uh, from the oil industry uh, for their advancing of clean cars, uh, the federal government is uh, trying to roll back completely the authority of states to take this action. It was just two weeks ago that the uh, Trump administration 
made an all-out assault on the Clean Air Act, uh, basically rolling back the uh, clean car agreements that were negotiated uh, almost a decade ago between the car industry and the uh, Obama administration. And uh, they want to take away the authority altogether for any states to have a clean car standard. It's uh, hard to imagine that uh, you would uh, uh, cut back on a uh, air pollution regulation in the Minnesota in the middle of a, a public health crisis, but that's exactly what's happened. And um, you know, in addition to the federal government attacking uh, clean cars, just today the federal government announced it was rolling back um, mercury and other toxic emission standards on power plants. So uh, what could be more reckless, uh, what could be more unconscionable than uh, um, making the air more polluted uh, right when it's, it's clear that air pollution is an aggravating factor for um, the public health crisis we're in the middle of. Uh, one last thing to say, uh, uh, we are uh, a strictly, strictly nonpartisan organization, but we have to call the balls and strikes as we see them. Uh, the Minnesota Senate uh, uh, Republican leadership has uh, kind of aided and abetted the uh, car industry and the uh, oil industry by trying to take away the Pollution Control Agency's authority to enact a clean car standard. It's absolutely explicit in state law that uh, uh, the Pollution Control Agency and Governor Walls have the complete authority to adopt the Minnesota clean car standard. And so uh, an initiative uh, in the state Senate is to repeal that law. Well, I know we're learning things as we go with the pandemic. One of the things that we're learning is uh, pollution can play a large role in people's susceptibility and reaction to the virus. Ben, do you wanna talk a little bit about some of the thought leadership um, that, that you've been doing for fresh energy in this area? Absolutely. I think it's important for us to consider um, the health impacts, um, not just of air pollution um, due to, you know, increased um, gasoline uh, powered vehicles, uh, but also, as you mentioned, Joe, what we've been seeing related to COVID-19. Um, certainly, I think what we know um, in terms of the trends are, are true for both. Um, the elderly, um, the, the health vulnerable um, are, are very um, highly at risk here. Um, but we also know, um, I, I think in both cases, um, that communities of color and under-resourced communities are at risk as well. Um, I think there's really important ties to be made, and I'm not sure that they're explicitly being drawn out in a lot of the headlines that we're seeing in the news. Um, for example, with COVID-19, um, I think most news outlets are saying that um, African-Americans and other communities of color are dying at higher rates due to COVID-19. Um, they might leave it at that. They might um, you know, mention uh, some of the comor comorbidities that are at play um, but aren't really addressing some of the um, additional um, structures that are um, forcing that as well. Um, things like inequitable access to healthcare, um, you know, disproportionate exposure to environmental hazards due to zoning, redlining, other things like that. Um, and so all of this to say, um, I think both in the case of clean cars and um, in what we're seeing due to COVID-19, um, there's some really disproportionate impacts that are um, taking place for under-resourced communities and communities of color. Um, and we really need to be able to tie a clear thread um, through all of this. Um, it, it's, it's really underscoring the importance of really addressing um, policy equitably, um, both in terms of, you know, in the immediate sense, Clean Cars Minnesota, um, but then how we're really 
thinking about, talking about, and in the long term addressing um, this crisis in the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, we can't talk about um, air pollution. We can't talk about um, this uh, COVID-19 pandemic and who uh, is being affected um, without drawing those uh, ties to not just you know the kind of secondary impacts due to underlying health issues, things like that, um, but then the tertiary impacts of um, you know disproportionate, uh, disproportionately um, placed policies um, and, and other systemic inequitable barriers. Well, thank you. Um, hopefully people can't hear it, but there appears to be a tornado siren test uh, in my neighborhood right now. So I hope it's not carrying through onto the recording. Uh, okay, that's a lot to digest, um, but I do want to open it up and ask if there's anything I missed that you guys want to talk about, any closing thoughts that you have for listeners. Justin, we could start with you. If, if yeah, you I, I just, I think it's so important to uh, remember that, you know, things that were important before the pandemic arrived are still important, um, that values that we had two months ago are still values that we need to have today and we'll have two months from now. Um, and that means being really vigilant about, um, you know, not letting uh, various political actors take advantage of this crisis to accomplish things that they were trying to accomplish, you know, months ago. Um, I think, you know, clean cars, the clean cars tailpipe rollback is a great example of that, where there's so much media and public attention being directed elsewhere um, that clearly some individuals found, saw an opportunity to, to move some things forward um, when the public wasn't paying attention. Um, and I would just, you know, I would just note that a lot of the things that, that we're talking about, these federal actions that Michael uh, was just highlighting are not popular. Um, there's a brand new poll that was just released uh, within the last hour by the Union of Concerned Scientists um, on federal rollbacks, and it, they found that in a survey of General Motors owners, current vehicle owners of GM vehicles, more than 80% want General Motors to support stronger emission standards at the federal level. That's a big number. There's, there's, there aren't very many things that 80, more than 80% of Americans all agree on these days. Um, and I think it's just a, it's a signal that, um, you know, the public is on the right side of these issues. Um, the public wants cleaner air and cleaner transportation and, um, you know, lower emissions. And um, we need to keep fighting for those things and not take our eye off the ball. I think to add to that, um, Justin, Justin put it well, um, you know, the, the bread and butter work that we do um, while we certainly, you know, want to respect um, kind of what this crisis requires of us now, um, the bread and butter work that we do um, will continue. Um, if there's any kind of comfort um, in, in this crisis that we're in right now, it's knowing that the processes that we know um, in some sense will, will come back. And so uh, that even includes things like Public Utilities Commission dockets um, and, and committee hearings at the legislature, for example. Um, so we will, um, you know, continue working on the things that that fresh energy is known for. Um, on the other hand, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we we can't return to business as usual. Um, so going forward, I think we'll really balance um, and, and work to balance um, continuing the work that, that we've been doing around advancing energy efficiency, um, renewable energy, and and all around just a more carbon-free economy. Um, but we also have to think bigger. Um, we really have to think about what this moment requires of us. 
Um, and as I think we've all acknowledged um, throughout this conversation, um, what it looks like to truly um, transform um, our economy um, and, and truly transform it to one that is carbon free and equitable. So I want to chime in that, uh, you know, everything that we cared about before this crisis uh, still matters. Uh, uh, you know, the biggest question are, uh, you know, how deep this uncertainty is, how long this economic downturn lasts, how deep this is. Uh, but I think it's very, very possible that it'll, it'll be very long and very deep. And so, you know, where you might be seeing oil industry stumble and uh, coal retire, coal plant retirements accelerate, you're also going to see uh, energy efficiency and renewable energy industries and solar industries uh, struggling too. And uh, there's just going to be a lot of pressure really across the board. So what our pledge to you is, is that fresh energy might be looking for ways to trim the budget, but we're not looking for ways to trim our sales. We're not um, hunkering down for the long winter. We're um, actively doing strategic planning and asking ourselves, how can we be more ambitious? How can we be more bold? Uh, how can we uh, live up to the expectations of, you know, everybody who listens to this podcast uh, to, you know, shape and drive uh, energy of future that benefits all. Um, uh, again, I, I, I just can't emphasize enough that when there's a crisis as deep and big as this, something new is going to be born. And um, we'll be there for you uh, as your voice, helping to uh, shape a future that's uh, prosperous and equitable and, um, you know, without the carbon dumping in the atmosphere that is compromising our children's future. So um, thanks, everybody, for attending uh, with us today. And back to you, uh, Joe, to give the final benediction here. Uh, well, good timing. The sirens are done. Um, so thank you all for your insight. I really appreciate this conversation. Um, we're not sure when session is going to end this year or what the outcome will be. Um, but to echo Michael, what Michael just said, you can bet that the staff at Fresh Energy will be keeping their finger on the pulse of everything clean energy related. Uh, and as I mentioned early on in this podcast, the Public Utilities Commission is still meeting virtually and Fresh Energy's energy markets team has been deeply involved in quite a few dockets that will affect clean energy in Minnesota for the next 15 years. So all of that is still happening. Um, I think that will be a great topic for a future podcast. Maybe we'll have Alan and some of his folks on to, to dig into that so people can stay tuned. We'll We'll keep these podcasts rolling uh, such as we can. <laughs> um, in the meantime, listeners can stay up to date on our work via our blog at fresh-energy.org or follow us on social media. Uh, in the meantime, thank you everyone for listening and subscribing to our podcast. You can still support Fresh Energy's work by making a donation today. And I'm going to say it one more time. You can make that donation at fresh energy.org. There's a button uh, in the upper right corner that says donate. So click right there. Thank you everyone for listening and have a great morning, afternoon, or evening.